everybody. How are you doing today? <laughs> it feels weird. We, I, I'm out in public. I am, I am in a group of people, and I'm not wearing a mask. That's odd. I've gotten so used to wearing a mask that I have just resolved to no longer trim my nose hair, because it doesn't matter. <laughs> my nose is covered. We're good, guys. And that's why I'm like, dang, I was in the mirror looking. I was like, oh, yikes, I've got nose hairs hanging down, because I haven't had to trim them for the past three months. <laughs> Come on. Fun story, true story about a mask. I woke up this morning, uh, came here, put my mask on, and I was like, ah, oh, man, it smells weird. Like, what's wrong with my mask? And then I realized, it's not my mask, it's just my breath. <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, I've never been better about dental hygiene than I am right now. I'm washing, I'm, I'm brushing, I'm like using mouthwash like three times a day because I'm just sick and tired of like smelling myself. <laughs> I, uh, thank, I, my name's Mitchell, by the way. I, I'm not the usual guy who does this. Seth usually comes up here. Uh, I am a minister here at the Foundry Church. I do all sorts uh, of different things in and around the building, and I'm so happy that today I get to uh, be here for this, to be able to share a message. I do get the occasion to, or get to do this on occasion, uh, enough for my wife to constantly give me tips and, and things to do. Uh, one of her biggest tips is uh, don't tell jokes because you're not that funny check. Already did that. I thought my nose hair joke was great. Uh, the second tip that she gave me, because I commonly find myself having to dress up up here, it's like, it's a weird confidence thing. This is not a, like, I think I should wear a suit. It's just like, if I look good, they'll like me. <laughs> but, so I always button and unbutton my suit. If you've ever watched me preach here specifically, I'm always unbuttoning and buttoning. Uh, so this week, I have two things on my stand. One is a throat lozenge that I can only imagine is from Seth from a previous week. I'm going to not touch that. Uh, but the other thing i brought is this. So uh, this will, will come into the sermon later, but I have this to play with. So if you see me holding or grabbing this, uh, it's not out of stress. I'm fine. I just have to do something. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know uh, about you guys, but time's flying. We are all the way into our third week of our new series, Mind Over Matter. It feels like just yesterday we started it, and like I said, now we're all the way into week three. So I'm going to do a quick little recap in case you've forgotten or in case you weren't here. Uh, week one, we kind of, Seth came up and he gave us this premise. He had uh, funny pictures and stuff up there. Uh, well, pictures, videos, I don't know exactly what they were, but it was all those illusions, right? Those things that you watch, and it's like, is the dot moving, and it's not really moving, but your brain tells you it's moving, uh, and, and it was all proving the point that, hey, sometimes your mind is going to play tricks on you. Like, the thing that you see that you think you're seeing isn't actually what's happening, and that's something that not only happens with pictures and illusions, but it happens in all different areas of our lives. Sometimes our reality is something that we've made up in our head that isn't always necessarily true. Now, uh, he used that to go into a, a larger point, which was that, hey, how you think your most dominant thoughts are going to be what determines your life, what's going to determine your actions. So what you're thinking over and over and time and time again is what's going to put into life. That's what your life is going to be like. Uh, last week, he made a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful analogy about his dog, which I love very much. I've tried to steal his dog like a thousand times. It's a great dog. Uh, I call it Jackson Michael Storm. I had to throw a middle name in there just so I could like let it know that it's my dog, actually. Uh, but he talked about it running laps around the house and that uh, he talked about cognitive brain function, that essentially we make neurological paths in our brain with our thoughts. And every time we start a thought, it becomes easier and easier 
easier to think that thought. So, which is okay if it's good or if it's positive things, but when it becomes negative things, it becomes easier and easier and easier to think negative thoughts. That first time you create the pathway, and each time you have those thoughts, it gets easier and easier to have them. Today, we're going to talk about biases. We're going to talk about cognitive biases. What cognitive biases are, essentially, and I want to read this off the page. I, I usually don't read things off pages, and this stand is horrible, by the way. Is that why there's a lozenge on it? Because it's been over there, like, just unused for, like, three months? Uh, but, uh, no, uh, cognitive biases are making wrong decisions based off of wrong assumptions. So they are decisions, they are things that manifest in our brain into actions that are based off of wrong assumptions. And essentially, it, it deals with the premise that each and every one of us here today, if you are alive, breathing on earth, you are biased, right? We all have different biases that base off of our life, based off of our experience, based off the things that we do uh, throughout. The best way that I could think to explain this, and I'm probably going to say the best way to explain this a lot, so I'm sorry, uh, but the best way I could think to explain this was when I grew up, I played uh, a lot of sports. I was not uh, very good at sports. I was not super athletic. I was never the star player. And oftentimes, if you haven't been able to tell from this little monologue here, I tried to make jokes out of things. So I was the cut up, the kid who was like telling jokes, making like, oh, get in line. And I'd be like, no, I won't get in line because you told me to get in line. Like that was me over and over again. So I ended up being yelled at a lot by coaches, especially as like when you're in like elementary school, it's cute. But when you get into like middle school, high school sports, and you're still not doing those things, it's no longer cute. So I got yelled at a ton by different coaches and different people. Uh, so I was so used to getting yelled at that when I started my first job in the food service industry, which if you've ever worked in the food service industry, you know it's a high pressure, it's a lot of anxiety, you're constantly moving, constantly have to go. When I started that first job working in uh, the kitchen for a guy who I love dearly, 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 his name's Mike Richards, uh, he would yell. He would yell at me particularly a ton and yell at other people when you were goofing off or when you weren't getting things out or especially those high pressure situations. That would come out in yelling or raising of the voice. For me, I was like, that's no big deal, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going from school getting yelled at to practice to getting yelled at to getting work getting yelled at. This is just life. But for other kids and other people who worked there, because it was mainly young people who worked there, that was a very jarring experience. We would leave work and they'd be like, man, Mike is such a jerk. I can't believe him, this and that. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? He's, he's the best. You see, we had these two people, same scenario, same situation, but we had different outcomes because of our biases. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm sure me being yelled at a bunch probably wasn't good for my psyche as a kid, but like I was, so that experience didn't have that big of an effect on me. But for people who weren't, it had a bigger effect on them. You see, biases, the past of each one of us, the way we grew up, it affects how we see things today. Now, that is something that it's not probably not news to you. This isn't a big deal, but we, we're setting the groundwork, right? We all have biases. We all have these things that are going on. Now, cognitive biases, the biggest one, the one you'll hear people talk about over and over again, is what is called confirmation bias. What confirmation bias is, is essentially we have something we believe, and what we are doing is constantly over and over again going through different stations or situations in life trying to prove that what we believe is right. So we see things through the lens of what we believe. For example, if you logged on today and you like, were like, oh man, yeah, Mitchell's preaching. I don't know if he's that great. You would have watched the first five or so minutes, however long I've been going on up here, and you'd be like, why is he holding a fish? Why does he feel need to squeeze it? Why does he keep saying like and um? Why does he have a small pace? You could find reasons over and over and over again to go, 
I don't think he's that good of a speaker, especially if that's what you believe. Now, if you're my father who's sitting right over here, or my grandmother, who I trust through the power of the interwebs, is going to watch this at some point, uh, they think I'm a great speaker. So they're sitting here going, he's so funny, isn't he? <laughs> Why does he have that silly fish? What's he squeeze? You know, and they are confirming the thing that they already believe. Their son, grandson, is a good speaker, right? Now, of course, that's a cute, fun example, but when it comes to politics, when it comes to life, when it comes to disliking somebody or liking somebody, over and over and over again, we will prove the thing we want to believe to be correct. That person doesn't like me. Well, how do you know they don't like me? Oh, well, you saw when they walked in, they just, they didn't look at me. They said hi, but they said it really quickly. Like, you, got, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that, or you've had the experience where you've talked to somebody who else is experiencing that, right? Confirmation bias. It's happening over and over and over again in our lives. And these biases that we have, they shape who we are. They shape our lives. They shape who we become. They shape relationships. They shape uh, situations. In bigger picture things, they start to uh, shape our beliefs. They shape how we view the church. They shape how we view God. There are a lot of people out there in the world today who have been hurt by churches. And I'm not diminishing that. I, I, I believe it. I know it to be true. I personally have been around the church enough to know that some of the deepest wounds you will ever get are from church people, right? Like, it, sometimes it can be terrible. So if you have those experiences and you have those situations, if you walked through our doors today, or if you happen to just click on us online and start watching these, you might be sitting here thinking, what a bunch of phonies. What a bunch of liars. He threw on the cheap suit. He's coming up here talking like he knows what he's talking about. Those situations, those things, you're looking constantly over and over again to confirm the thing you already believe, and that's that church people are liars or that the church is bad. Now, if you've had positive experiences with the church, if you've had good experiences, you might be sitting here going, man, I love my church. I love this body. I love this group of people. They're all great. You know, they make errors. They make flaws just like anybody else, but they're good people, right? biases. They happen over and over again. And now there are times that we can evolve past the bias. Our, our biases can change through life. I'm not saying that you're just a prisoner to your situations over and over again, but time will show and science shows over and over again that typically we are prisoners of our situations. Typically. Not the exact rule, but more often than not. Now, another way that we see this come into play is our view of God. There are studies over and over again and research that shows that your relationship with your earthly father usually has some sort of effect on your heavenly father. So for example, uh, if you had a father who was very, you know, whatever, loving, let you do whatever you want, kind of hands off, you know, eh, go out and do the thing, but you know, you knew that they loved you and you knew they cared for you, well then you might view God as somebody who's very, you know, loving, carefree, hands off, you know, just kind of do your thing. If you're somebody who grew up with a very rule-oriented father, very strict, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this, more likely than not, that's how you're going to end up viewing God as somebody who's very rule-oriented. You have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. If you're someone who had a very present father, you might believe God is very present. If you had an absent father, you might be easier for you to believe that there is no God or that God's not around or that God's not here with us. Again, that's not the rule. That's not 100%. I'm not telling you that that's identically what happens, but I am telling you in your brain, it is easier for you to go down those pathways with God based off of your father. These are things that we acknowledge. These are things that we accept. We see these time and time again in our lives over and over and over again. 
What we are going to talk about today is uh, a little thing uh, I call framing, because <laughs> uh, that was the easiest way, again, the easiest way that I could put it, um, but how we can deal with those biases and how we can deal with the things and the junk and the neurological pathways in our brain and how we take all of this stuff and how we use it to change our lives. Because that's what this series is all about, right? Mind over matter. Change your mind, change your life. So this is going to be a, a little bit more of a practical sermon. We're going to talk about some of those things like that. Um, but like I said, framing. Framing is essentially choosing the way you are going to see a situation, a person, your life before you experience them. It's making the decision, choosing the filter to which you're going to see things before they happen. Framing is something that we do pre-situation. Framing is something that happens before. Now, again, you can do it during, but it's a lot more difficult to do during. It's a mindset. It's changing the way you think about something before it happens. Now, the easiest way that I <laughs> I said it again, I wrote it like eight times. Like, I go through and I read my sermons, and I don't think there's anybody in this world more critical of, like, me than me. So I'm reading through, and I'm like, Mitchell, you said that the easiest way to describe this eight times— Sorry. The easiest way I can describe this, though, is with this fish. This is, uh, this is a fish. This is something that I was given uh, when I first started my uh, job at Lake Aurora Christian Camp. I worked on uh, staff there. The first thing they would do every summer when they would bring in new people, they would sit us down for the seminar, and it was called the fish seminar. Uh, so you would sit down, and, and it was a seminar that was based around a company in Seattle. Now, this is a very, very famous company. Uh, it's a fish market, and essentially, I think it's like Pike's something. I should have looked it up at some point during this process, but I didn't. Uh, so it, what they do is they essentially, a long time ago, workers and managers there decided, hey, we're a fish market. We sell fish. How can we make this more fun? How can we make this not just this little quick thing, but how can we make it like a full-on experience. So when you would come up and when people come up and order fish, they grab the fish and they, they say funny things and then they throw the fish around and, and they make it into this kind of show. And it took this fish market from being just a fish market to it being this tourist attraction, this experience that when you go to Seattle, you go to, you see it and you experience it. And, and it's just essentially a decision that these workers made that, hey, we work this job, this job isn't fun, how can we make it fun? And it's a framing thing. They made the decision before they came into work a long time ago that, hey, we are going to make this thing the most amount of fun that we can. So the whole point of the seminar is, at the end of the day, you're the one who chooses your attitude. You're the one who makes the decision on how your day is going to go. If you frame things and you say, yeah, hey, this might not be fun, but I'm going to make it fun and I'm going to give it my best and we're going to do this thing to the max. That's what the, the whole seminar is about. And at the very end, they give you this little fish, this little stress ball. Uh, and for the most part, I've kept it with me for a, a really long time. At some point, the fin fell off, though. I don't know what happened there. Uh, and I keep it as a reminder. Like, hey, at the end of the day, I'm the one who chooses what my day is going to be like. At the end of the day, when I wake up, there's this really, like, pinnacle moment in the, like, it's kind of like a documentary slash thing where this, this dude, and he looks super goofy, like, super goofy, kind of ugly-looking dude, and he's like, I wake up in the morning, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I decide, you're going to have a good day today. It's very, like, you know, Tony Robbins-esque, like but it works. It's true. That's what they're trying to teach you. That's what they try to teach us at summer camp, that every single day you're going to have things you don't want to do. But predetermining, hey, this is going to be fun, and I'm going to make the most out of it. That's what framing's all about. It, there's actually uh, kind of a, a technical term for it, which is uh, like cognitive positioning, cognitive framing. 
taking your mind and choosing, hey, this is what this is going to look like. Uh, This is one of my main points for it here. Uh, You cannot control what happens to you, but we do get to control how we frame it. We don't get to control what happens to you, but we do get to control how we frame it. And how we frame things will be the ultimate and largest determination on what we do with our lives, how things go for us. Because your life's going to be full. I mean, I'm sure if you're here, sorry about that, you're an adult, you know, life is filled with ups and downs over and over again. It's our decision of what we're going to do with that. It's our decision to take those things and make the best of them. Now, this is a Sunday morning. We are in a church. So, of course, there is a biblical example of this that's pretty dang good. It's the Apostle Paul. If you know the Apostle Paul, and Paul wrote most of the New Testament, Paul, early in his ministry, when he was converted, he had this idea, he had this prayer to God over and over and over again. And he believed that God had called him to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome and preach to the Roman people because, and it's a pretty dang good idea, because at this time, Rome's taking over the world, right? So if he could convert the Romans, the Romans then spread it out and they convert everyone else. So Paul's working over and over again to get to Rome, to get to Rome, to get to Rome. And then Paul does that. Paul eventually gets to Rome, but what happens when he gets to Rome? He almost immediately becomes a prisoner. He almost immediately gets taken to jail. He gets tied and chained to a Roman guard, and he's essentially just awaiting execution. Now, this would have been a pretty big deal. If you can imagine just for a second, if you were Paul, if, if you believe that God called you to something, if you believed, hey, God wants me to do this, so you spend your life, you dedicate it to, hey, I'm going to get there. Hey, I'm going to do this. Hey, I'm going to do this. Hey, I'm going to get there. Hey, I'm going to get there. Then you finally get there, and the first thing that happens is you go to prison. <laughs> Any normal person wouldn't look at this as a win. Any normal person wouldn't look at this and go, oh, yeah, 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 it's exactly where I wanted to be, right? Prison. Now, of course, we aren't in prison now. We, we're not under the Roman rule, but this is a situation that we can all relate to. Because I guarantee you in life, at some point, you thought, hey, if I can just get there. Hey, if I can just do this. Hey, if I can just do that. Right now, like, think about kids. Think about education as we're growing kids up. We're telling them, hey, you need to grow up and you need to go to college. You get to college, you get that degree, then you're going to get that perfect job and your life's going to be fine. So kids are growing up in college and they're going, man, if I can just get that degree, man, if I can just get that degree, man, if I just get that degree. Those of us who have done that, who have been a part of it, we know that when you get that degree, uh, like, that doesn't mean really much. Like, like your, your life isn't solved at that point because it just moves on to something else, right? Man, now if I could just get that job, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that job, but then you get that job and you're still not happy. Man, if I could just marry this person. Man, if I could just be in a relationship with them. If we could just go together and just be together forever, everything would be fine. It's not always fine. The person you feel that God put on this earth for you, sometimes you get a divorce. Sometimes things don't work out the way you quite had them planned to. And we can go on and on. Car, truck, house, dog, kids, whatever. There are this haunting, haunting thing in life that when you get what you want and you're still not happy, right? You did all the things. You finally got where you want to be, but you're still not happy. Paul did all the things. Paul did the thing that he thought God called him to do. He got to Rome and he was put in jail. Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians. This is uh, Philippians 1, uh, 12 and 14. 
Uh, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is Paul talking about being in Rome and being imprisoned. Uh, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guards and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's saying, look guys, you know the thing that looks like I failed? You know the thing that would say to any other human that my purpose probably wasn't quite it? Or, or maybe I had the wrong idea of what God called, you know, called me for? The thing that when I came to Rome, they thought they would stop me by putting me in jail? No, 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 no. It has helped me advance the gospel all the more. The thing, the chains have turned into the blessing. We're talking framing here, people. We're talking about the idea that Paul had that, no, 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 I'm going to advance the gospel regardless of what happens. And, and if I get put in jail, yeah, then those chains will be the thing that I use to advance all of this. Those chains will be the things that I use to think this whole thing forward. Paul could have let this drift into negativity. Paul could have let all of this go to the point where he was like, yeah, maybe God didn't call me to do this. Maybe this wasn't the thing that I was supposed to do in my life. But no, Paul had already made the decision in his mind. Paul had already become confident. This is what I'm here to do, and I'm going to do it regardless of what the situation is. Again, you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. How do we live this out? How do we let these, our thoughts, our minds, which way will we choose to let this go? Will we let our minds continue to drift to things that are negative, that are critical? Or will we choose to pre-frame things through the lens of God, through the lens of good, through the lens of love? There are a lot of us, me included, here in this room, online, in this world today, who need to change how we frame things. We need to change how we look at the situations and the things that are going on in our lives. Because, friends, I'm here to tell you today, and I guarantee you that if you want to find the negative, you'll find it. You want to find the negative here in this church? Oh, you'll find it. You want to find the negative at home with your spouse, with your kids, with your job, with your car? You'll find it. But I promise you, if you want to find the positive, if you want to focus on the good, if you want to see God in all situations, you will. I was reading this book the other day, um, and it was the call, and, and the call of the book, the very end point, was um, the idea to see Christ in everyone. That was the ultimate form of transformation, when I can see Christ in my brothers and my sisters. Because when I start to see that, when I start to see people as the gift that they are, I'm going to treat them a lot differently. When I stop viewing people as my enemy, when I stop seeing people through hatred, that is when things will change for us. If we want to see the bad, we're going to see the bad. But if we choose to see the good, we will see the good. I... I keep finding myself over and over again coming back to this dumb fish. 
that dumb video and, and the guy who said, hey, I'm going to wake up every morning and choose happiness. I'm going to wake up every morning and choose good, right? That's what we should want to do. That's what this is all about. Now, I have spent, um, I started preaching and was lucky enough to start preaching and people were uh, I don't know, crazy enough to start letting me talk in front of them at, at a decently young age. I think I started doing this when I was um, like 20 or so. I was working at camp and uh, I, I was talking to kids every single week and then people from churches would see me and then, I don't know, think like if they brought me there, it would make them look way better. <laughs> so they would bring me in and they'd let me talk to churches. Uh, and and I've, like I said, I've been really, really lucky and I've been really, really blessed to do this for, for quite a while. And I've written my fair share of sermons in my young life. Um, but this was a tough one for me. I was telling Seth this this morning. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to end this. I didn't know where to go. Uh, it, it, was, it was hard. Because usually when you write a sermon, you know, uh, there, there's a couple ways they do it, and they teach you a lot of different ways. But, you know, sometimes it flows like main point, and then you like reverse engineer it backwards, and you write your whole sermon around an end point. Or sometimes you start from the top and write it all the way down to the bottom, or you build three points, etc. So I, I built this sermon. I built this idea, and, and I didn't know how to end it. I didn't know how to end it Wednesday. I didn't know how to end it Thursday. I didn't know how to end it until Friday night at about 1 a.m., I woke up and I started writing. And it was weird. I, I'm not a huge, uh, and maybe this is a f- like a flaw of mine. Like, I don't think God, like, shook me awake and was like, hey, man, here you go. Here's the ending to the sermon. Now get out there and write it. Like, I, I don't think that's what happened. But it, it took me a while on this concept. It took me a while to grasp because I got a huge issue with it. Even as I was writing it, I was like, I got some issues with this sermon because it sounds like disillusionment, Right? It kind of does. I, I wrote this, I, I put a story in here and I ended up Xing it out because uh, I didn't like it because I was like, it's disillusionment. Like, I, I don't want to come up here and tell you like, hey, if you just put rose-colored glasses on, your life would be okay. Like, hey, if you just ignored all the bad, obviously things would be better. Like, that's not what we want. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're looking for from this series or this. So I was like, well, what are we looking for? So I thought... And I thought, and I thought, and I debated, and I debated, and I debated, and I eventually kind of landed here, and uh, that was the universe. (laughs) It's going to get weird before it gets better, trust me. The universe. The universe in general. I was sitting there, and I was thinking about nature. I love nature. I like spending time in nature, and it kind um, of—well, actually, let's go back even further. This week, Tuesday, I went to my uh, friend's—he has a um, timeshare on the beach in, in Vero, and we're sitting there. It's like a, you know, little timeshare at a little resort. It's super, super cool, super cute. We're sitting there at the little tiki bar on the beach, and like, we're sitting, and then all these people start freaking out and flooding to this area. So like any normal person, we're like, well, what's going on? So we start flooding over there too, and, and when we get there, we notice that these little baby sea turtles, they're hatching out of their eggs, and they're crawling into the ocean. And I probably spend way too much time with, like, middle school kids because my first thought was, how do they know to go to the ocean? <laughs> like, why, what if they would have busted a Yui and went to the pool back there? That's way nicer. And, and, like, that was a legit thought. And then I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they go to the ocean. But then I kind of kept thinking, I was like, well, somebody knows how to go, why they go to the ocean. And Friday night, I was sitting out there, and I'm looking at my tree. I'm looking at the grass. I'm looking at all this stuff. And I'm like... 
yo, how does this work? Like, how does this grow? How does life keep happening? And, and I got to the realization, like, hey, a huge part of our existence here as humans is to figure out these questions, right? Like, we are constantly trying to figure out how things work. Science, earth science, you know, medical science, uh, psychology, the psycho- like science of the brain. We're always constantly trying to figure things out. But there's one thing that we haven't quite been able to figure out yet. There's one thing that we haven't been able to put our finger on. Because when it comes to evolution, and I'm not trying to have an evolution conversation here, but the idea of evolution, the survival of the fittest, um, me putting somebody else's will, somebody else's wants or needs over my own doesn't fit that. That doesn't fit survival of the fittest. That doesn't fit that idea. Why would I care about somebody else over me? If ultimately I'm here for my own survival, why would I care about what my wife thinks or what my wife needs, especially if it hurts me? Well, it's love, right? It's the God particle. It's the idea that there's something here in my consciousness that allows me to think bigger than myself, and we can't explain that. We don't understand that. We won't ever be able to explain that. My father, uh, who's here as well, uh, he gave me $1,400 to fix my truck. Why? I didn't help him. I mean, it's a, basically, if you go with my track record, me and you here, it's a coin flip if you get that money back, right? Like, <laughs> we'll see. Why would he do that? Why? Why? My, my brother, who used to live with me, he told, he told me the other day, and I'm going to call him out, I hope he's listening, that he's going to have issues paying rent this month. And I was like, hey, dude, here's some money. Why? Why would I do that? It doesn't help me at all. It's love. It's something that we can't explain. It's something that we don't understand. And when we open up the Bible, we see from Genesis 1 that God created all of this, created this earth, created everything out of the words of his mouth. When the earth was formless, his spirit hovered over and created it, and he created it out of love. New Testament writes, hey, God is love. We see God was with his people, In the desert, we see that God eventually took on flesh and came to life in Jesus. And then when Jesus left, what did he say? Hey, I'm going to send down my advocate. You will never be here alone. There is this frequency, there is this wave that's going through all of things. It permeates everything we are, and that is love. When we talk about reframing, when we talk about changing your mind, I'm not calling you to do disillusion. I'm not calling you to say, hey, if you just focus on the good, everything would be all right. That's not what I want. What we're calling to is tuning into the frequency of God, tuning into the thing that was there in the beginning, that is there now, and will always be there. That is God. That is love. So when we wake up in the morning, it's not about disillusioning ourselves. It's not about convincing ourselves that every, like you ever seen that, uh, I'm going to date myself here. You ever seen that meme where the little dog's in the fire and it's like, this is fine. Everything is fine. And the fire's all around him. It's not what we're calling you to. That's not what I'm asking. I'm telling you that, hey, if you choose to see things through the lens of God, hey, if you choose to love first, all of this life will start to make sense. Last week, Seth gave us homework right? Seth, Seth said, like it was, 
like we were in seventh grade. Seth came to us and said, I've got a mission for you, and you're going to do this throughout the week. Uh, and I was crazy enough to try it. I was like, you know, I, I got to see Seth basically every day, so I don't want him asking if I did it or not, so I guess I'll go out there and do it. So in, in the morning, I, I woke up. Uh, I, you have to feed my dogs. I love my dog, but my dog's a jerk. She wakes me up every morning to feed her. It's very rude. So I'm like, okay. So I wake up, I go outside, I feed my dogs. And, and then I was sitting on my back porch and I would take two, three minutes and I would just sit in absolute silence. Breathing in, breathing out. Usually I would do it with my eyes closed because I, I have an issue, as you can see. I can't pay attention to anything. So um, I, I do it with my eyes closed, but then I would wake up. Or not wake up, I'd open my eyes and I would start looking at things. Usually the first thing I would look at is a tree. There's a big tree in my backyard. And I would audibly, out loud, like a crazy person, say, God, thank you for that tree. Then I would go, God, thank you for the grass. God, thank you for my flowers. God, thank you for my dog. I have two dogs. Thank you for the deck that I'm sitting on. Thank you for my chair. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my wife that is inside the house. Thank you for my car. Thank you for the gas to get me to work. Thank you for my job. See, it's reframing. Because when I start to thank God for every one of those individual things, I start to see them not not that I can see things through the lens of God, that's not what I'm trying to say, but seeing things through the lens of love. Choosing to see things as the gift that they are. Because the, the truth is, my tree, like, it sheds leaves all over my yard and I have to rake it all the time. My grass constantly dies over and over again. It's terrible. I'm constantly watering it and putting things on it and it just dies. My dog literally ate my favorite Tampa Bay Rays hat the week of opening day. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Sorry, I got very, I'm very passionate about that. I was like, Rrr. you know, my, my wife sometimes, she does things that annoy me. My truck literally won't stop breaking down. My, my, my job here isn't always perfect. But when I see things through the lens of God, when I see things through the lens of love, I start to acknowledge these things as what they are, and that's a gift. Each and every one of these things in my life is a gift, and it's a gift that is so much bigger and so much beyond my understanding. When you take a 30,000-foot view of your life, your, this world, the fact that you're breathing here in this room tells me your life is a ridiculous miracle. There's no reason for it. There, there's no way to explain it. There's no way to understand why the moon is that perfect position to keep the tide so that like everything just doesn't float, flood over. Like that the sun rises and sets every single day. I listened to a two-hour podcast this week while I was driving on dirt. <laughs> Do you know how complex dirt is? Like it's incredible. This life is a gift. This life is beautiful. This life is wonderful. What we have to do as humans here on earth is begin to see things through the frame of the gift that they are. And when you do that, it will change your life.